calls. He's a libertarian in chief. This is the libertarian chief chat. Just a libertarian chit chat with the chief. Oh, hey, I'm Kevin. I'm here too. All right, welcome to Chief Chats with Kevin Hobby and Todd Hagopian. I'm Kevin Hobby. And I'm Todd Hagopian, and we have a very special Ladies of Liberty episode today with our special guest, Jessica Vaughn, who has over a quarter million followers on Twitter. Jessica, would you like to give a quick intro? Well, now that you made me a little shy about that number, I guess I don't, I don't look at it all that often. So a quarter million, wow, that's way too many people listening to me. Um, hey, Liberty lovers, I'm Jessica Vaughn. Uh, Playboy Playmate a couple times over, um, uh, live in Hollywood, doing the Hollywood thing before um, individual liberties were denied to all of us about 14 months ago, which was what uh, initiated me to open up my mind about the direction um, of our country and who I give my vote to. So I'm happy to be here with all of you guys. Well, thank you so much. And that just opened up a whole bunch of cool questions. So First off, let's talk about your career because I think um, you might be the one and only playmate we'll ever have on this podcast. So <laughs> talk a little bit about how you got into that, what that career looked like, and then how COVID impacted that career uh, over the last 14 months. Um, so before it was a lot of uh, live events, I was getting into photography, doing some um, shooting portraits and doing um like boxing and mixed martial arts, ringside, cage side shooting and that type of thing. Um, lots of castings for shows. We, you know, do um, uh, featured extra spots, that, lots of magazine shoots, that type of thing. We would do um, lots of e-commerce stuff for brands. And all that came to a screeching halt. Um, and of course, we were promised two weeks at that point, which you probably remember that turned into now 14 months. Um, so about a month into that, I knew that we were being misled. And um, the gig economy was the first thing to take a huge hit because there's no protections for freelancing. You don't get, there's no guaranteed checks. If you, if you halt the machine of society, we can't, we can't come and, and, do the things we do. I mean, it's not quite as bad as like well, those poor like day workers in India, but I mean, it's a it's about like that for freelancers, especially in cities where ever, the costs of everything are so crazy high um, that you can't you can't really go more than a month without working. Um, so that uh, yeah, so that drained my savings. That'll make a person angry. Um, then they started doing things like turning off the water, turning off the power. I don't know if you saw that in the headlines. That was very concerning. That was happening in my own neighborhood um, where people were just having friends over for dinner and then they would turn the power and the lights off on wow. themselves. Yeah, yeah. So that, of course, um, I, I had been a, a lifetime liberal voter when I was in college, you know, it was the Obama years. And I remember all the... the um, excitement surrounding being 18 and voting for somebody that you know was just on the cultural pulse of things and it just it, culture just takes you on a ride and um I'm off that ride now and it's very sobering and um all my life conservatives had tried to I'm from Kansas by the way I've lived okay. in LA for a decade now but um 
but I came from a conservative place. Um, I had split homes. I had a conservative home and then a, a liberal home, which is, which is fun. I started a new hashtag, um, uh, liberal mom, conservative mom. Sometimes I'll tell little stories about how they differed in their parenting style, which is kind of a fun project that um, is just for my amusement for the most part. Um, but I was able to witness all the things conservatives have ever tried to tell me about the slippery slope nature of liberalism, that if you remove the right and wrong, the absolute moral good and evil, these sorts of things, there, there has to be those things, or then they would create these, when I was a child, I would listen to these arguments and listen to these hypothetical arguments about like, well, if you change the definition of marriage, then people will want to marry a rock or their pet. And they were just so ridiculous. And, and when you're a child, you don't really, you can't, you can't really understand what they're talking about. Well, now I understand. And maybe um, being right of center is just something that you have to grow into to understand cause and effect in these ways. So that was, that was rather sobering. Where did the other yeah. screen go? Did he hang oh, up? He didn't, like, he didn't like my answer. Oh, oh no, no, he didn't. He probably <laughs> dropped service. He was on his phone. Um, oh, where are you from? We can just keep rolling. Uh, so I'm, I'm from Oklahoma, but I'm in uh, Montana right now for. Oh, okay. Well, I heard, I hear um, the mid, I, work, I hear the mid, I hear the Midwest accent. Yeah, I didn't realize you were from Kansas. What part? Uh, you don't mind me asking. Wichita. Wichita. Mm. I spent like yeah. two years. There, in there a, a, go ahead. I spent like two years in uh, Kansas City and uh, really loved it. That was about the only, I've never been to Wichita, but um, <clears throat> really loved Kansas City. But yeah, so I got that accent. It, wor it works really well wherever I go, though. People th think I sound trusting. Yeah, it's familiar. I, I read that they did a study that about people's voices and, and people like Midwest, like that, they like that Chicago, you know, type of thing. Mm -hmm. It's familiar anyway. Yeah, but everybody um, here hears my voice and thinks I'm from Texas or somewhere, but I'm from the Midwest. I don't know where I got such a drawl, but just lucky. I yeah. Guess. <laughs> yeah, you just lucky to it. I get the same thing. Like, uh, <laughs> you guys, you guys are from the Midwest and I'm from Michigan which is the real Midwest. <laughs> oh, you came back just in time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, sorry about that. Um, my internet may cut me in and out of the best podcast interview we ever had here. So. Oh, well, don't set the expectations too high. I'm shy. <laughs> so, um, if I didn't miss it already, talk a little bit about um, uh, how you became more liberal with uh, the two different households influences and how you chose to go that route and oh I had never thought too heavily about the um red pilling situation you know the I'd never successfully watched the matrix or any of that and and the conversation had never come up because I guess I was just in the flow of mainstream culture and so you don't ever really talk about concepts like being red pilled um but then when it happened to me and you talk about it then people try to give it some labels so it's help. It's helpful for the expediting of of um, concepts to other people, but um, culture just opts you into being blue pilled. You know, you don't really get blue pilled. You get red pilled, 
and I'm from Kansas. So for me to say that, um, I, I feel like there is um, people that are forming their attitudes in a conservative state. The next generation is always going to be more progressive in, in what's normalized. That's just the default of, of, of how, how young people are. Um, so as a young person, you just want to push back. I mean, my um, conservative family wasn't thrilled that I went off and left and went and got naked in a magazine and, and um, just sort of checked out. But I had to because that was my path. Now, you have to acknowledge that I, it's come full circle um, from home base. And I understand where I come from a little bit more now. Um, but I didn't, I didn't have those signals. You don't have those signals. In 2008, we didn't have any signals. It was all the foundation being laid for what's happening now. And um, that's hard to see. It's, you can't really explain to somebody that what's appealing to them is just because they're you know, being hoodwinked for all lack of a better terms. So um, it was a, a progression, not to use a buzzword, but it, it was a, it was a pro progression. But I feel like when the shutdowns happened, that definitely pulled me out of it. Now, I was always somebody that would watch CNN and like the fact that there would be some um, token conservative pundit guest that would come on and they would make decent points. And so I liked the um, perception that I thought I was getting a balanced type of view, um, which of course you're not, but God bless the um, center-right people that will go on to CNN and talk to those people because it's a hostile environment. And, and um, I think what they do is amazing because, you know, they're not welcomed or treated fairly in, in any sense of the word. So um, I was always open-minded and that's what saved me truly was, is that I, I wasn't closed off, closed-minded. I didn't think that I was always right. Um, but I mean, I was, I was like, well, duh, I'm going to vote for Hillary Clinton. Duh, I'm going to vote for Obama. I mean, it was just sort of like what you did because the TV and everything culturally just primes you for, for these things. I mean, I remember thinking, wow, if you're conservative, you have nothing that you get to have because I'd listen to, you know, late night talk show hosts and um, these people, they would just, just bash, just bash anybody that wasn't liberal. I mean, and I, coming out of this fog, I was like, why did all those years, I never even asked myself, why was I told that Ted Cruz was so bad? Like nobody even, even asked me why I thought that you just, it was like this default mode. And that's all priming your brain to have the attitudes that um, they want you to have. And, and conversationally, they teach you through these, you know, monologues that, that these uh, pundits will get on and deliver. They, they they prime you with the argument now on twitter i can tell i'll say something that's controversial and people will all come in with the same one-liner and i know that that's that's how i know like i don't watch it anymore but that's how i know what the programming was i was like oh well rachel maddow must have said that one because i heard it seven times in the reply but but it's just it's just strange and the more individual liberties are being attacked the more I examine the whole thing and, there, and there's a little bit of insanity to um, a two-party system and um, living in a city right now is very hard it's, it's very hard um, countless examples of why it's just very weird out there 
Um, so I stay home for the most part, which is, you know, me, of course, playing into the hand that they want, but, but just to avoid other people and, and over-regulations and everything is, a, everything is pulling teeth to just have any type of, of normality at all. Um, so I'm, I'm definitely open to moving somewhere else. I only have two options for moving, Texas and Florida, because at least they're, you know, functioning. Oklahoma's better in every way than Texas. Yeah, we've got, we've got plenty of room out here. <laughs> that's right. I can spread out. Yeah. Well, I am yeah. just a Kansas farm girl at heart, so um, it's not out of the realm of possibility. There's other places like Nashville seems pretty appealing and um, Daily Wire just went there and um, I love country music, so Nashville wouldn't be too terrible of a place, but but um, I, I guess for just leadership on the national stage, I mean, Florida is definitely the place for somebody um, like myself. I mean, Ron DeSantis is just knocking it out of the park in every way that he possibly can. And, and, and there's other places I would consider, but they're just not, they're just not read enough. And I know that sounds silly for somebody, but I, I've seen, I've seen the light. I just want away from mobs and people that don't understand those invisible boundaries between me and them. I mean, I don't care if everybody around me likes me or thinks like me or anything like that. In fact, I just want to, I just want to be left alone. And, and I'm grateful that being here in the um, belly of the beast at the ground zero of the um, authoritarian takeover that I, it didn't take, it didn't even take me a month into this to understand what was going on. I mean, all the cues were there. I mean, at least, at least I read history books and um, growing up in Kansas, at least I, I had the whole, um, or, or, or read a lot of Orwell and, and um, just all the dystopian novels, Huxley. So at least, the, at least that base was in there and all of a sudden, like all these books from middle school and high school come back and you're like, oh, that's a concerning thing. That's a concerning thing. And if you don't have that base, then it's, it's, a, real, it's a real problem. Um, but I feel like it come all at once. It, it came all at once with the, the shutdowns. It's very sobering. And, and then it just was so disorienting that so many people were not able to see it for what it was because I snapped awake in, a, in you know, the snap of a finger when this happened. Um, so I've lost a lot of friends upset some family, that type of thing, you know, some, some deals went south for me, that type of thing. But I don't think that there's anything that overrides a commitment to the truth. And if you can just stay committed to that, then maybe your political party is going to shift or who you want to spend time with that type of thing. You're not always going to agree on those things, but you have to be in harmony with yourself. And um, I realized all at once, I wasn't in any kind of harmony with my belief system. I, I, I feel like I used to be, you used to be able to be a Democrat and wear an American flag t-shirt and that wasn't some symbol of oppression. And, and now it's like, how, how is our national, how's our national flag a sign of oppression? We all live here. Like, but all at once that's what happened. And that, and that seemed so irrational. Um, 
and heartbreaking at the same time because I was always a fair person and, and all at once it was not afforded to me anymore that I could be a Democrat and love my country and that was very alienating and one after the other, all these things. Um, I, yeah, I'm not a collectivist minded person. I, I used to be able to vote Democrat and not have to really deeply examine that. Um, but I, I realized that I, I can't anymore. So then there was the storm from publicly voting for Trump, which was quite the eye-opening experience. Um, and everything that followed from that. But it was what was the right thing to do for me. And I believe everybody should do that, should do those right things, um, no matter what it costs you. Because if, if you don't, you have to live with knowing that you had the opportunity and you didn't. I mean, people, people, tens of thousands of men have died in this country fighting wars so that we can preserve this. It seems like an easy thing for me to know that you have to, if, if somebody's just asking you to say your opinion and you say what's honest, like why, if people had to die for that, why can't you open your mouth about it? And it's amazing to me how many people won't or can't or don't. Right, so, so there's a couple of things to unpack with this. Um, so you talked about being younger and, you know, I, I was an Obama kid too. Uh, that was my first election to vote in. I thought he was kind of conservative, but I was going to vote for him anyways. And uh, one of the things that I've been messaging with the Libertarian Party a lot is that most younger people vote 100% based on those social and civil issues. They don't have any understanding of economics or long-term or anything like that. And if you look at Libertarians, we're already socially progressive, socially liberal and things like that, but we're not marketing on that. And I think that if we market to a younger base by saying like, hey, these issues, like if you think that Mexicans are people and you know you support gay marriage, then here's this other alternative. Like we support these things too, but we also believe in capitalism and individual liberties. And you don't have to co-sign with the Democrats for this because I believe what happens a lot is these people, they come in it's at least what happened to me. You only care about civil social issues because everybody wants to be fair. You know, when you're young, you've got that, I uh, call it dinosaur politics, great big hearts, little bitty brains. And you don't understand these things that are happening, but you get sucked in. And then when you look at the Democrats and kind of what's happened to their, to their party, what's happened is um, you can go all the way back to um, the Frankfurt School of Thought, which was kind of this school of thought based around how can we get Marxism into Marxism and socialism into the hands of everyday people. And the way that they did it was, well, we're going to co-sign with social issues. We're going to co-sign with civil issues and slowly incrementally introduce this. And then before too long, they'll all be Marxists and they don't understand it because they only came in and we slowly introduced it to them. And I believe that that's what's happened with the Democrats. Like you were saying, you know, you used to be able to wear an American flag. You used to be, used to have the blue dog Democrats or the yellow dog Democrats and these different things where you could be a more conservative middle of the road Democrat, but they've got swallowed up. And I think that most, most people would do well to study up on the Frankfurt school and kind of where that started and what is actually happening. Because once you see, like you said, once you see, it's hard to unsee. Yeah, the um, Confucius Institute, right? That's another one. Yeah, that's another. 
Yeah, how um, interestingly named because who doesn't like Confucius if you just read some of his writings type of thing. It's uh, it's definitely um, a wolf in sheep's clothing. Right, well, it's like the- and independently idea by idea and they, and they, and they can um, validate their reasoning behind it enough. I mean, I went to, I, I, I did two years of junior college and two years at a, at a, a private um, four-year school in Kansas that was a Christian school, but nobody ever affectionately said anything about, you know, any a Christ or anything. It was sort of weird when I was reflecting on that. I was like, that was strange. I went to a, um, um, Christian college with no real Christ in it. That was strange to me, but, but they definitely slipped in a lot of other ideas, um, with some things. So people think they're buying one thing and they're getting another and higher education is, um, the best example of that. Cause I thought it yeah. was going to a private Christian school, you know? Oh yeah, they've, they've definitely seeped into everywhere. And we have um, in Oklahoma, um, we have a, an actual at OSU uh, University, uh, Oklahoma State University, we have uh, an Austrian economist at one of our colleges that is, uh, which is pretty out there. You know, it's something that you don't see a lot of because a lot of them are very social, socialist leaning and very liberal, but he's more of a you know, he's a Mises guy. He's an Austrian economist, a libertarian. So it's very strange to see that. Um, it's kind of all unique, the, all, but I think- all, just naturally all the um, economists I gravitated towards fall under that school, um, that label. Well, I had a bet with Kevin that I could get you into the Mises caucus by the end of this interview. So we're going to, you and I are going to have a chat <laughs> after this because uh, now you've talked about Austrian economics, you've talked about <laughs> moving more right leaning. Um, Kevin basically has already lost you and you're on our side. So, yeah, well, conceptually, yes, but I mean, this, this is such a, an alienating country, a polarized nation um, that I just want to not pay for the sins of any one half of the country because um they're both they're both on the chopping block in a lot of ways and um i want to get away from crowds because they're dangerous i mean there i've had i've had two times in the last year where i was um i i had the flow of traffic stopped because of of um, marches and protests and and it used to be you had to file for a um, you know a, a license to to go and protest so people could avoid that area for their own safety and I, I mean and so out of nowhere it's happening and they're grabbing people protesters marchers are grabbing onto cars and I just don't want anything to do with that I don't like I, li- I live at a, at a landmark and I they came up here to the landmark to um, get some notoriety for their cause, which is their right to do because it's public, but it's concerning to me because it's right out of my front door. And I want to go somewhere where you're not bringing your march, no matter what the march is to my front. I, I don't want that. I mean, I already am kind of a private person anyway, just from being a, a public figure. And I, I, especially having ideas and opinions that are unpopular on my social media, um, I just don't want to be in a city. I'm not sure if I, um, you know, a a year ago, I doubled down really, really hard about the greatness of America. Um, And the more I've watched some things play out, the more I 
think that, I mean, do I have to take the founding principles of this country abroad and just make America wherever I put my feet in my own mind because that's how much under attack um, individual liberties are? Because that, that's how I feel. So I don't know if you're gonna successfully get me to get me to sign up, even though my heart is there. Um, because because, I, because I, I just, I don't know. It's- um, Well, let me ask you this, because I uh, think you've touched on some interesting things. So uh, first of all, for the audience, um, Jessica is not a, a big L libertarian yet. <laughs> um, but I think the way that you can hear her talk, she's definitely a small L libertarian. Uh, kind of absolutely in the two parties uh, so we appreciate that because everybody had their own journey to get to libertarianism and sometimes you end up there and sometimes you don't um, but talk a little bit about what you just spoke of which was you have a big enough platform that when you say something you know your job can be affected your finances your life can be affected whereas a lot of anonymous folks on twitter can say things and know that they're never going to have any repercussions over it, as you can tell probably from your comments and replies. You know, there are pl plenty of vile out there that you would get fired for. You know, I would get fired for, but anonymous people wouldn't get fired for. So talk a little bit about some of the backlash you've received, how that made you feel, and what that makes you want to do going forward or not want to do going forward. Well, luckily, I'm not a person that has to um, work in the corporate wheel of things and I am, am grateful for that. Um, like I said, I don't get any of those protections. So I feel like being gig economy um, made me wake up to it really fast because there was nobody there to catch me. Um, when they turned when they turned the economy off, I mean, I was very angry because what am I supposed to do? Um, and even now that like a lot of people are happy because, you know, oh, you can go into a restaurant and, and eat now. It's like 25% capacity or something. Um, but that's not the same, like, is I, I'm still um, debilitated and hobbled until all live events can come back and until Gavin Newsom either gets recalled or lets all live events come back. I can't move through the free market that I used to be afforded to. Um, and and so it's it's never going to be better for me financially in that way. And um, th that just activated everything in me that, you know, I left my hometown and my protections and all the, the, the normal motions of that. So I very much feel all the consequences of any brand pulling out, wanting anything to do with me or my friends deciding, oh, I can't go engage with her or can't even reply to her comment because what if my audience sees and my brand endorsements don't like that I'm talking to some right wing nut now, you know, and um, that's. That's um, how it is for me because I'm in such a deeply blue area. I mean, I, I have housemates. I, I live in the Hollywood Hills. These are not homes I can afford to buy on an, you know, an artist salary of um, you know, pursuing my artistic endeavors, however they might, might lead me. Um, and I was always okay with that. Freedom to me was not amassing a bunch of money or a bunch of stuff. Um, but I, you wouldn't have found anybody that was more grateful than me to have come to Hollywood and I live in my dream home. There's just a lot of other people in my dream home, you know, like, uh, so, so you get a, you just a little bit of fractional ownership of, of this dream, I guess. Um, but I, but I, I loved LA. 
but now I feel so alienated from my environment that it's hard for me to imagine how anybody could ever, after what they've demonstrated to me about what they, how they actually feel about me and my individual liberties. And uh, I'm just, I'm just tired of like yesterday I had a restaurant that um, the hostess gave me a very hard time about not wanting to give her my phone number. I gave her my name and then I made up a phone number and she knew it was made up. I wanted her to know it was made up um, so that they could COVID trace and call me if somebody got COVID in the restaurant. And I, I was just, I don't want you to contact me about anything about COVID. I don't even want you having my phone number. Do you want my money for some fish or do you not, you know? And, um, and so I'm just at any opportunity, I'm just doubling down when people won't take no for an answer on these things. I mean, we, we are very heavily regulated. I can't imagine anybody but New York being any more regulated than California. Yeah. I mean, uh, so, so, so then my private business will go above and beyond what's already the most mandated of all um, requests being made to people. Why do I have to go above and beyond for to give people my money? Like, why would I want to do that? Yeah, but, but I, I, uh, I had to look back and see how you and I had originally started chatting. And uh, one of the first conversations was the vaccine passport, which <clears> is <throat> a whole other level of um, uh, putting your, your personal information out there. Um, so it's interesting. Yeah, to, uh, as, a, as a public figure, I could see the phone number thing, you know, being a lot more important than somebody like Kevin or I. And it wasn't even the fact like I gave him my phone number one time and then I was thinking I was just angry I had to do that. And so then when I came there again, it's just close to my house and convenient. So, um, you know, I, I just didn't understand why saying no thank you to things like people ask you things all the time you don't want to do you say no and then you move on. Right. Um, but why private business wants to double down on these things. So my concern with the vaccine passport is even so we have these limitations of government in the constitution, but the way they're circumventing all of that is to just have these private businesses violate your, you know, first amendment rights and have local ordinances that violate your second amendment rights and so on. Um, that's more reason to go find an island. Not everybody can escape, but I, in my mind, you still smack in the middle of a city. I just have a daydream where I can get away from other people trying to limit or, um, you know, light on fire my constitutional protections because, I mean, that's why we're a more perfect union is the, the democracy is just a tyranny waiting to happen. You know, I mean, I, I, but you can convince a lot of people of a lot of dumb things, but does that make the one person in the room that knows those are all dumb things? Like that, why, why can you mob on that person just because there's a lot of dumb people? That's, that's just dangerous. So if we don't preserve the constitution, I, I don't know what we're going to do and where, there's nowhere to go if we mess up America to this level. No, very interesting. So as you've dipped your toe into libertarianism, um, and I know, you know you're not yet, but I know I've watched you kind of interact with the libertarians out there. In fact, I think I saw you um, retweet Spike Owen, or Spike Cohen at one point. And that was when I first uh, realized who you were. And um, so as you've started to interact with these folks, and by these folks, I mean people like me, who sometimes have strong opinions on people who are half in and half out of libertarianism. And, and I recognize that. What has your impression been 
uh, what have you liked, what has been not so great, and how could we message better to pull people that are half in, half out into the party? Well, the, the concepts are solid. I mean, I, especially just not caring about what other, as somebody that was a progressive that, um, I don't care if gay people want to get married and all these things. Like, I, I think we're past a, a lot of those things. Um, I just believe in invisible boundaries between people and that's afforded to them and they're going to reap consequences of their choices. And just like the benefits of my good decisions aren't going to benefit them, their bad decisions don't affect me. I like that. that I mean, straight up, that's, that's a great, that's a great thing. I mean, I know there's libertarian minded people's people in other country that countries that I'll talk to sometimes um, who share those sentiments. They're just further left. So they're, I mean, I do talk to people that are, libertarian of a left-leaning and that's interesting um but i've mostly found all the american you know right of center libertarians that they just don't want the bondage of what the gop that has some their own um bag of of weight that comes with that and a certain type of group think um like for me i just to you know Hopefully this isn't too hot of a take, but but for me, I don't I don't care at all who Matt Gates wants to date or what the terms of his conditions are. I couldn't care less as long as they all want to be there. Like I don't care, and that's the that's the difference between me and somebody. If I talk to the GOP, those are the thing you know they want to force morality on some people that don't share those sentiments. And I don't. There's boundaries between people, and you don't understand their lives or their circumstances, and so. That's what makes libertarianism make more sense to me because I just don't care. I don't want to measure those things that don't have to do with me and my perception of public figures. Yeah, and I think uh, the libertarian party is pretty darn um, straightforward on the sex work is work. Uh, so we agree with um, that as far as time uh, with some people on, on when when consent can happen and whatnot, but I think you're on the ball. It's you know. I just don't. I just don't. Yeah. I just don't understand. Um, you know, and I voted for a conservative president one time this this past year um, out of protest. And I, I certainly had to, and the ideas appealed to me. All of a sudden, like slammingly fast. Trump's ideals appeared to, you know, a, appealed to me. Um, and, and is it, was it a pushback on, on the ex deeply leftist environment I am, am currently strapped within? Yes, absolutely. Um, but I, I just don't, I don't understand why the, the problem with conservatism is it, it, it hangs itself because of its own belief systems impeding on other people's freedoms like in the Matt Gates situation, I just don't understand why they can't see their champions. They're going to, why would they want to go lynch their own champions? You're going to have no champions. Like, why would you do this to your side? There's like no game plan, you know, but it's because the ideals that they are subscribing to are something that they think are non-negotiable or higher than, than them. And if everybody's not subscribing to that, then you're not in the club, but you run out of people to have as, you know, president of your club. And so I think that's silly, and that's why I'm not a perfect fit for them either. Yeah. But I do like their, their positions on school choice. I think school choice in America, if we're going to save the young people at all, you have to have charter schools and some other things. So I like those positions. Yeah, we did a great episode um, 
with Corey DeAngelis. Uh, if you ever get a chance to talk with him on school choice, he's just fascinating. And he's, he, a lot of great he's the best yeah. every day. Uh, the tweets about so-and-so pro proposed yeah. a, you know, uh, um, funding, funding the student in, instead yeah. of, of the system. And um, I do love those updates. Yeah, yeah Corey's good. awesome. <laughs> good friends with Kevin. It reminds me there's hope. Just him reporting on that fact, even though the format is uh, somewhat redundant, it reminds me that that there are motions in government so that somebody can hear us because uh, if you don't, I mean, how, if, the, if, if leftist ideology already owns the media and they own big tech and you can't take control of the school and put, see, like I said, there were those, just the reading list, the reading list that it coming from a public school in, in Wichita, Kansas, at least the curriculum <clears throat> had some novels in there so that when we're, we're literally living in a dystopian novel right now. So if those things weren't in there and I have friends, I have, I have friends that, um, you know, were in public schools in the Midwest and they don't even know the books I'm talking about at all, you know? Um, so they can't have these conversations. And I'm like, how is it even possible? People my age didn't read these things. Like, I feel so lucky. So if you don't take control of school in, in even subtle ways like the reading list and implant those ideas, like why is Alexander Solzhenitsyn not a part of a standardized curriculum? It's because they don't want you to know about the atrocities that happened in communist organizations. And I think what Corey does best, what I really like about what he's doing in the movement is he shows that if you get involved in a cause and you get passionate about it and you can actually become fairly big in that cause. I mean, Kevin, correct me if I'm wrong, but two years ago, there are not a whole lot of people who knew who Corey was. No, I think I was Corey's like 200th follower. Yeah. I mean, and I met him about a year ago. I'm a long way. Starting to get big. You know what I mean? And ever since then, now he's now he's out there writing articles, he's talking to politicians, he's in op-eds and major newspapers, and he's going state by state and driving these laws. And, and not only that, but he's working with libertarians, Republicans, conservative Democrats, you know, and he and he's working on an issue rather than a party. And right, that's right. Yeah. I mean, and who I don't understand why it's really all that much of a party, a partisan issue to want parents to be able to have some control over uh, incentivizing the school that their kids go to. I mean, isn't that something that all parents would want? <laughs> yeah, Why but that, is that it's controversial? A... If your school is failing you, no matter if it's a, a, a rural area school or, or you know, some inner city school, I had a very diverse um, educational um, experience in public schools. Um, I went to, do you remember those magnet programs? Oh yeah. Concentrate. Like I went to one of those experimental things. Uh, before that I had been um, from a suburb and got shipped into like inner city Wichita, like um, urban school environment. So I have very like interest. And then I went, I went to suburbs that were like, you know, um, just affluent communities. Like I, they, I, I just had a very diverse type of public education um, and I can look back at them and measure those things and um, see where they enriched me or where they robbed me of certain things. Um, and 
the idea that parents couldn't, because uh, like I had such a diverse experience, like why couldn't I get a say in what environment my child has? Since now I have an opinion because of my own experience, it's not all that different from what's available out there. Um, but but now that like I listen, I, I don't understand why kids aren't embarrassed to say they're openly Antifa and and things like why. <laughs> but they'll tell me these things on. I don't know. Maybe it's just my age group now that I'm older. But um, why would I want my kids going to school with Antifa members? There's so many of them. What the hell? I, I I'm stunned. I'm stunned at the opinions of young people and the, 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 um, I, I mean, I just wouldn't want those ideas infecting my children because you, you lose them. You can't retrieve them. Like, why would I want to, why would I want my tax dollars to go to funding my children getting um, polarized away from me? Yeah. Well, and it's interesting now I've got four kids, right. And I've moved around three times for work. Um, and so we've had to buy a house every time, right? And what we find is that we're sitting there trying to figure out what city to move into in that area, you know, based on the school system. That's almost 100% of the decision. And what we find is we can afford that, right? I can afford to go and, and buy the house I need to have and have my kids in the right schools, but a lot of people can't. And what they don't realize is that not having school choice is causing poor people to continue being in bad schools and rich people to continue being in good schools. Whereas if you have school choice, you could live where you wanted and then your tax dollars would follow your kids where you decided to send them. And I don't think that most people understand that concept because they haven't moved around. They haven't had to do this actual thing where it's like, hey, I could buy a 4,000 square foot house over here you know, and have bad schools or I could buy a 3,000 3, square foot house and have really good schools. They haven't, they haven't had to see that trade-off and understand that really only the rich people end up getting the education in the current system. They think they have this sales pitch going, you know, that um, school choice is going to help the rich. And it's the exact opposite in reality. Exactly. You can level up. If you are a person of, um, you know, awareness politically, what's going on inside of schools, why wouldn't you... Why wouldn't you want to give those parents control over those things to, to give an option for lower income people to level up their child's opportunity by being in a more affluent communities, kids sure. too. I mean, you want to break down those class barriers. I mean, we're, they're, they're making it all these things like some sort of race war and all these other things they want to make it about, but it's always really just a class war. I mean, all these yeah. things are just cleverly um devised to look like something else and that's that's why i don't use my television for anything except playing youtube of my own curation is because it's just a vector of propaganda and i feel lucky that i got to see my way out of it and um everybody isn't afforded that so i'm grateful well, hey, we, um, we could probably go an hour and a half with you. This is awesome. We are definitely going to have you back. But before we let you go, uh, let's talk a little bit about what you're doing now. Uh, so I think I saw on your bio, it says former playmate turned photographer. Talk a little bit about some of your passions and what you're working on. Yeah, um, I picked up a camera maybe three years ago, two and a half years ago, I guess at this point. It's hard to remember now that the world looks so different. Um, okay. So I, use, I shoot and photograph my own um, 
existing network of people. I've shelved that for a little while now uh, with the shutdowns and there's no live events. So there's no mixed martial arts to shoot. There's no concerts. I was um, shooting country music concerts and, and doing a lot of things that were, that were fun, just moving through the opportunities that the free market presents to you. Um, but since I, I can't do any of that, um, I'll still shoot, I'll still photograph my friends, but there's so few of them that I want to be around now that my political, um, ideological tendencies have changed so much, uh, in LA that's, that is narrowed quite a bit. Um, I am interested in, uh, NFTs now, so might switch to some digital renderings of my existing photos that I've shot and. Um, make some of those because that's a fun artistic way to still do something, you know, while I'm still on um, house arrest from my authoritarian governor. So last question. Do you think Jorge gets it done in the rematch? Oh, yeah, I can hit me. Of course I do. So Jorge is a personal friend of mine. Um, so I'm, I'm definitely with street Jesus on this one. So yeah, the BMF, you think he's going to take yes. both of them? Yeah, he'll get the full, he'll get the full training camp this time. So, so I'm definitely, definitely full and ATT believer. And, um, I, I think he'll get it done. It'll be fun. If nothing else, it will definitely be fun to watch. So go Jorge. Well, Jessica, how about you tell everybody where they can find you, um, and, uh, how they can connect. Well, I am on all the major platforms, Jessica Vaughn, and Vaughn is spelled V-A-U-G-N. There's no H, just so you can find the right one, because there's another woman named Jessica Vaughn who is spelled the conventional way, and she's an immigration officer, and she's extremely annoyed when they're looking for the Playboy model and harassing her, a very professional guest, even though now she and I might agree on a couple more things than in the past, so the real Jessica Vaughn. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Twitter, Clubhouse, um, Instagram, all those places. Oh, Clubhouse, huh? Yeah. Something we've been um, we've been toying around with a lot in the Libertarian Party and Kevin and I have talked about. Doing some oh, more well, well, invite me to a room. I'll, I'll come hang out. I'm not much of a phone person, um, but I, I would like to come check out your room. So all right. let's invite me. Yeah. yeah, let's do it. Cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This is awesome. And I hope um, what we'd like to do after these events is bring you back for like an issue podcast down the road. So anytime you get, you know, amped up on something or worked up over something or just passionate about a new project or whatnot, you know, feel free to hit us up and we'll bring you right back on. And by oh. the way, this is our tax day special. I think we forgot to say yes. that at the beginning, but yes. I was so pumped up because Jessica actually oh. was like, why don't we do it on tax day? And I, I was like, that's a great idea. So I thought yeah. uh, that was just so cool, like a cool idea. So thank you for coming on. We really appreciate it. It felt like the most ironic day possible, but I'm so glad we did it. So thanks for making me comfortable. This was a lot of fun. Good. Yeah, thanks for coming. <laughs> thanks guys. Bye.